Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. This is Season 2, Episode 37. Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. This is Andy Littleton from Mission Church. I'm sitting across from Eric Seepin from the village. Oh, wait. That's not Eric Seepin. That's Kevin Somitz. A little different. Um, hey, we stayed on point. We talked about the book mostly. We talked mostly about the book. Except for the harem, and that was a little bit of a left turn. But well, other than that, like I feel like we unpacked it pretty good. And if, you, if you're interested in Andy, his dad, or any uh, anything... I don't know. I actually have nothing to say. <laughs> so I've I've got a I've got a little book project releasing later this month called The Little Man. Kevin is one of the few people that's read the whole thing. And uh and he does an awesome job of kind of helping me share about the project. So stay tuned and we hope you enjoy. Good morning. Uh I am not sitting with Eric. Mm-hmm. Not sitting with Eric Seepin. I am sitting with Kevin Sommets, who, if if you've listened, you know, into the deep tracks <laughs> of Faith Over Breakfast, uh, you've heard this this man's voice. Uh, he, we used to be on a radio show with Kevin and uh, his friend Sam. That's really where Faith Over Breakfast began, in a way, because we would all grab a breakfast over mm-hmm. at Rincon Market in mm-hmm. Tucson, Arizona. Yep. And we would talk about what we were going to talk about on the radio, and we'd have this really lively discussion. Then we'd get on the radio, and uh, we'd say a few of those things. Right. Yeah, it was – I remember the the idea started for me a couple of years back. I wanted to have a faith section on our radio right. show, and I thought about intelligent, handsome pastors that I knew. Mm-hmm. And obviously Eric was one of them. Mm-hmm. You came to mind, and so I called you up. I don't know that we'd spoke – we had spoken once. Yeah. But I said airtime. You came running, basically, and uh, <laughs> uh-huh. and you put up with a lot for me. Like that was a very anxious time in my life. Okay, I mean, I think you could probably tell I was having to put together this performance where nine oh six started, and I was talking live. Now maybe I was talking live to six people, right? But it still was quote live radio, mm-hmm. and I was a mess. I was, I just. I was angry at Sam constantly because <laughs> we had a, a bit of a broken marriage at the time, and um, but it was fun nonetheless, and it, it gave you and Eric some chemistry and said, "Hey, what if we could yeah. do this without Kevin? Maybe <laughs> or not Sam, that, or, or Sam, or the the confines of live AM radio, All right?" And so here you are. You've been doing this for a while. Faith over yeah. breakfast. Yeah, we're I don't know a couple years or something. That's kind of a amazing actually yeah almost two I mean, years getting there getting yeah. there if yeah. you started the summer after we quit uh, uh-huh. the radio show that was april of 2017 anyway and including the fact we've missed some weeks that i'm thinking about our episode count which you know eric's, yeah what is eric's, the episode count well eric's gonna be frustrated with me because we're supposed to say it right and i never know what it is and i don't know what it is today so it's uh episode 87 mm-hmm. yeah uh-huh it's something in that range i would guess right somewhere in the 70s or 80s okay which that to me means about two years because you've yeah. missed. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, and Kevin, by the way, goes to Eric's church. Yes. So we still do have a representative of Mission Church yeah. in Tucson, Arizona, and the Village uh, in Tucson, Arizona, at the table. So yeah, but Kevin, you wanted to come on. I did. I missed the airtime. I missed uh, people hearing my voice. Um, no, that wasn't it at all. I ran into you at Crave down the street. Yeah, little and, coffee shop here in town. Yeah, and so for I listeners in Japan. 
Right, and they are there. There's a couple. Right. Ni hao, right? Oh. Um, no. Oh. That's, I think that's us Chinese. Uh, you probably just, oh. Yeah, just let's oh, skip. No. No. We, have to, we can edit that out. Um, no, so I ran into you at Craven. I knew about your project. I knew about this yeah. amazing thing that you were doing where you were. I wasn't quite sure, but I thought you were hybridizing a an extended sabbatical with driving to Oregon to get a truck, with exploring your dad's roots, with uh, also writing a book about it. Right. Yes. I, I vaguely knew that, but thought, that's a lot, and that's really cool. And did he actually follow through with it? Because <laughs> it's one thing to say, I'm going to write a book, right. and then it's another whole thing entirely to write that book. I just met a buddy who who told me that he was writing a book, but he had, you know, it had been, it was collecting dust, it had been a couple years. So I could, I mean, I, I have the same, yeah. I've heard that uh, several times and thought, well, we'll see, you know, hopefully you do or whatever. You did, know. did you think that about yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I really wondered. Um, like, am I? And so I made, you know, I did. I did a little Indiegogo fundraiser thing to, to you know, yeah, to have some resources oh, available. You did. Yeah, yeah, and um, not not a large one. I didn't make a huge deal out of it compared to how other other campaigns are done. But I promised the book this month, twenty nineteen June. Right. Didn't say. First or thirty first or thirtieth or whatever. Thank goodness, because it's not released we're, yet. We're still early June. We're early June. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen here in June. So I, I did that because my assumption was if I didn't do that and people hadn't put money in, uh, right, then maybe it would never happen. It would never happen. That's smart. Yeah. So it wasn't. It, it of course the resources were helpful, but it had something to do with like it's like having pre orders because people said, we'll support this, and we get a book. And then I had a couple other little perks, but it's like, they need to get their book right. by the time I said they get their book. Right. Right. You will have made it a disrespectful thing if people give you money and you say you'll give them a book, and you do and not, you in fact. Yeah. Right. So I have that um, awareness driving me to get it done soon, which also probably means there will be a couple of missed punctuation marks, and um, and I'm sorry for that. But the good thing is it's an Amazon direct-to-print, so I can always go in and uh, change that. And then it, oh, so you print it. once When someone orders it, then it gets printed. Then it gets printed. That's cool. So you can go in and, and edit it later, which helps. So that's – so, yeah, my, my thought was not being skeptical that you would write it, but kind of amazed that it – like hey, like like it's hard to do anything in life. It's hard to say hey, I'm going to clean yeah. the kitchen and then actually do it. Yeah. Oh gosh. To yeah. put down the thoughts of your experience, but really, uh, uh, an autobiography or a biography about your dad's entire existence. Not really chronicling it, but who he was. Right. It's a tall order. So I, I think I saw you in May or, or April yeah. at Crave and said, "How's Probably the book May. going?" And you said, yeah. "Oh, it's done. I have a manuscript and." Yeah, and so I wanted to read it. Yeah, and and I told you uh, I I could have I could use a little more feedback for the final. Yeah, yeah, right. So I offered to quote edit it. Right, and um, so I read through it, every page of it. Yeah, which I think I'm. A you co- are one of two. I think I'm not sure if Rod made it through the whole thing. He may have. He may have. Um, he seems to know things about it. So, right. one of two to three who read the whole thing. So far. So I got to read the, this thing cover to cover, and I really liked it. And, it, like, really good job, Thank first you. of all. 
I think the first thing I would say to people about it is if you like Andy, you're going <laughs> to like the book. If you don't like Andy. You're going to hate this book. Yeah, because you get inside his mind and you feel like he's talking to you. You feel like you're just kind of snuggled up by in a chair <laughs> and he's sitting and he's saying, well, and he's telling you all these stories. So if you can picture Andy's voice, his face, uh, his inflections, it it really matches to all that's happening in the book, um, which I'll start with. One thing, and that's I think mentioned later in the book, you see someone at a party or something and they find out what you were doing and they say, wow, oh, I, it was someone in in prison or someone who had been estranged from his son. Yes. Right, right, right. Yeah, and, it, was at a, it was at a church service in Mexico. So right. almost a party. Um, he, <laughs> <laughs> he was disabled. Prison party. Okay, yeah, right. I had a – oh, he was disabled, right. He was disabled. And he yeah. was like in his 50s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would, I'm guessing there. I didn't ask. And um, you paint this really good picture of a guy who's estranged from his son, yeah. finds out what the the gist of what you had been right. doing, and just says, that's amazing. I, what an honor it would be for my son yeah. to write a book about me. Yeah. You could just see this longing that he had. Yeah. Like, I just wish that w- that's what we, my son and I, had that somebody would want to write about me when I was gone, right? Right. And my dad never would have thought that I would, interestingly enough. Right. Yeah, never would have guessed it. Well, for the reader, it it, it took us outside of – because it's near the end of the book, I think. Yeah, it is. It took us outside of what we're doing, and it's it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, this is about someone who wrote about their dad who's now gone. Right. Who can't, in the same way that you and I can, read and appreciate it, but – right. It's hard. I, what I want to say in that is that you have honored him just in the writing of it in a way that's so profound and beautiful and like like the the idea of it and then the execution, the follow through, and then the way you were able to pull it together. If no one ever reads the book yeah. or if people read it and think it's dumb, like you will have honored him tenfold regardless. Right. And that's, I think, what what motivated me to keep going a couple times. It's because I thought about I thought, you know, A, I, I've um I like to write, but I never really learned how to write well. Um and I and I also I did this through a time of really intense grief part of it. And it wasn't a time where I was really going, I want to write like technical great work. I was just this is just kind of coming from my soul. Just trying to trying to just get out on paper and I was trying to figure out why my dad was so important to me because in many respects I could look at our our life and our relationship and go it was other people have way more engaged fathers Mm -hmm. you know why is it that and I you know I'm not that attached to a lot of people I kind of wish I was more attached to folks but with my dad there was just this connection to the heart that I, I couldn't explain so I wanted to figure it out and then what I started to discover along the way, I mean, with that guy and several other people I talked to, is that they either wished they had that or they or they did experience something of that and they were thinking about that themselves and they wanted to read someone else's words, someone else processing that to help them process for themselves. I mentioned my buddy Jesse in there and his dad died when he was a kid and I thought, you know, would you really want to read about somebody whose dad died when they were in their mid-30s? And he was like, yeah, I, I kind of want to think about what that might be like. Mm. And so and then I thought about myself, and 
some of, uh, well, some of the books my dad read. The first book of my dad, I read two of his favorite books um, right after or just before he died. Interesting. I'd really been thinking about him and the things that he connected with hmm. uh, late in his life for the first time. And one of those books was just a son talking about his little lessons he learned from his dad. And that's called Little Britches yeah. by Ralph Moody. And it's not that well written. Uh, a lot of critics kind of tore it apart. It's just not great writing. But it's like this enduring classic book that people have connected with for years and years. And my dad read it. And when I read it, it brought me to tears a couple of times because I saw he actually did what that dad did. And I think because he wasn't close to his dad, I have a feeling he learned learned it in the book. He learned how to be a dad from Charles Moody in the book, wow. at least a little bit. And, and I thought, man, here's this guy, Ralph Moody, who, you know, there are millions of people with dads. Ralph Moody decided to write about his life and his dad. And for whatever reason, many, many people have picked up this book and read it. And my dad was one of them. And my dad learned lessons on how to be a dad from this person he never met. Well, I wanted to get into that. So let's talk about it now. Little yeah. Britches, the the cover, if you see this book, is a, it's a really beautiful take on the cover of Little Britches. It's a, it is, yeah. It's you and your dad. And I think you're sitting on a truck and it oh, yeah. you have to kind of see it. Yeah. Um, but what I was curious about, and you touched on it a little bit, like, why was why did this connect to your dad so much? Why was this? You said it was his favorite book, maybe. It had to be up there. It was uh, it was one of a series that he loved, and actually one of the later books when he was younger was what he was looking for when he met my mom. So my mom owned a little bookstore with a friend of hers named Jacqueline, and my dad was trying to find one of the books, and it was out of print. And it was called Shaking the Nickel Bush, and it's. It comes later. Ralph Moody wrote several books about his life. The The first one's about his dad because his dad died um, as well. And so his dad's not involved in the rest of them other than memories. Hmm. But um, but my dad – yeah, my dad just connected with Ralph Moody's story starting with Little Britches. And he kept those books. Um, my mom doesn't even want – she wants to hold on to them for now. Like they'll be – I'm sure she'll let me have them. But she, she's like, can I have that back? You know, so they're on her shelf, his set, um, which is the ones I read, um, or yeah, I read a few. But uh, but yeah, he was trying to find this book when he, when he met my mom. He kept coming into the bookstore, and uh, my mom and her business partner noticed this thirty-some-year-old, uh, nice, quiet little man coming in. You know, kept looking for shaking the nickel bush, and uh, he claims he had no ulterior motive. My mom thinks he kind of liked being around her, um, but she asked him out as what really? happened in well, the bookstore. Yeah. And reading the book and knowing your dad, that it... It makes total sense. Yeah, it follows. Yeah, it totally follows. I love what you did there. You, you, I think you're a good impressionist, and you started, you slowed... Well, you, it sounds like you spoke like something like either your dad spoke or maybe how they talked back in the 60s, yeah. but you said, oh, this 30-year-old man, so you're... I do that a lot. Yeah, you do that a lot. Yeah. You did it when you're impersonating Dwight, <laughs> and I like it because it's 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 a calming cadence. Yeah. Is that how your dad spoke? Yeah, a lot, often a lot slower, and uh, 
there were it was really hard even because you edited the book and were getting rid of all the eyed and weed and my mom did the same she went through she's a great writer and and she just you know she tore up my manuscript um which is great yeah but it was hard because some of that was i was trying to write like that i was trying to write to to my dad trying to write to kind of small town men um you know, not to not to great readers. Um, I, I didn't want. I had to go in and give it a little more descriptive language here and there. And Rod really mentioned that, and I thought that was true. But I also didn't want to flower it up too much because I was I wanted it to sound right. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to uh, to kind of sound like, yeah. I, I mean, I know how to talk like that. Right. I don't always, but I but I can, and I see myself doing it every once in a while. Yeah. It's very yeah. interesting. Um, so you, you've touched on the, the big question of, I think, why? Why did you do this? Why did you write write a yeah. book? I mean, it's one thing to set out on a sabbatical and to say, hey, I'm going to explore this truck and I'm going to explore my dad's roots, but I'm going to put it all down on paper. Like that's, that's actually a step right. beyond what was necessary. Like totally. your dad's in heaven now. He's going, actually just going up there was enough. And yeah. getting the truck back, like you didn't have to oh, try yeah. to put it all down. Um, what what made you say, "Hey, I want to encapsulate this in a on paper"? Yeah, and that's something I've been thinking about for a while. Um, before he got sick, before we knew he had cancer, so I actually wrote probably about two years prior. I I think I took a walk with him, or I did I did something with my dad, and I I thought I got a. I got to write down what what it is I appreciate about him. And so I wrote this little, I don't know, maybe it was like a little chapter or an article or something that just kind of extolled the praises of the little man, which is was his term for himself, which was a little bit... Oh, that was his term for himself. That was his term for himself and other people like him. Yeah, and that's the title of the book, right. yeah. Yeah, so he he would refer to himself or he would refer to a group of folks as the little man. And that, there's an Alan Jackson song by that title, which uh, that was his favorite modern country singer. And uh and I'm yeah, you know, I'd be willing to bet that's where he got it. Um but the but yeah, I just uh I wrote out this little thing that's kind of included in the introduction of the book. I I actually took a lot of it out because it kind of tried to paint a whole picture and I didn't want to do that. But sections of it are in the introduction now. Um, And, but then I thought immediately he won't be comfortable if I put this online or if I show this to very many people, he'll, he'll be kind of weirded out by that. That's not, well, if he's really a little man, then that would be, it's not, not, it doesn't fit like it. Yeah. Like, but I also thought, I want people I want people to hear people like him. I want people to listen to people like him. Mm. Him and his friends and the people that he loved and noticed and cared about and they just don't. because uh, I, I grew up in, in churches and going to men's conferences and there was something I was always uncomfortable with because every time it's some guy who knows it all, right? right. Up front. Very articulate. Very articulate, very sure of himself. <laughs> and I kept I would always find myself through my life sitting back going I don't know if I believe you. Hmm. Like 
I can say stuff like that too. Um, but I don't, I just don't know if I believe you. Like I'm, I'm interested in somebody who grinds it out day after day, mm. you know, who actually, and who has major setbacks and still plows through them. Not who's out on a book tour. Like, yeah, you could talk about manliness cause you're making right. 300 grand on this book and you're making money on the tour and. You have to like manliness because that's what you write about, you know. But um, I thought I want to write about a guy that doesn't know squat about manliness in his own opinion. <laughs> like that was my dad. He never once told me, "Here's how to be a man." If you, if I asked him, "How do you be a man?" He'd go, "Oh, son, I, I don't know." But I watched him, and I learned a ton. So that's that's what I wanted to explore, and I kind of wanted to share that perspective that doesn't. It, I mean, it's never. My dad would never have a Twitter because he didn't think he had anything to say. Hmm. You well, know, you, you talk about manliness and the way that Christ came into this world and and showed what it. I mean, I think he probably showed masculinity and femininity. Yeah. But one part of the masculinity that he showed was a, a coming under, a death to self. Yeah. A decreasing of you know he abased himself to right. the not considering equality with God something to be grasped. Right. And so, actually, maybe that is manliness, and that's a more interesting type of manliness, facing setbacks, yeah. over overcoming, being quiet and still, sacrificing. That's like 1% of what our culture is going to extol as manliness, though. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. And to be honest, you know, I was watching, I was watching the news more around that time and just, the, you know, all the political events. And... I just thought the men who we listen to are the loudest men. Yeah, right. Um, and and I thought, I just want to do my part. I, I know a man that's not like that. He was my dad. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell his story. And if five people get onto that, that's great. That's fine. And if people want to rip the book up because it's not that well written, like, great, I'm in good company with Ralph Moody, and that's okay. Um, but... Um, but I'd like to tell the story of somebody who isn't yelling at us to get our mm-hmm. attention or or claiming to know it all. Just show a guy who is faithful throughout his life most of the time, <laughs> except for when he blew it. Right. Well, he wasn't perfect. I remember no. about two-thirds of the way through the book, I thought, okay, like, Andy, I'm going to have to tell you, like, this guy's not perfect, and you You're wrote a book. making him sound like yeah. he's just the he's best. no right. sin. So is, this is Jesus? Did Jesus just die? <laughs> And then you, and then you touch on actually very vulnerably uh, some intimate conversations you and him yeah. had had confrontation of sin, um, right. broken relationships, ways that you have not fathered me well. Right, and it it's I don't want to say shocking, but it's like oh okay, wow. Now the veil's been pulled back a little right. bit, and what I think that does is it it incites a really interesting conversation that I'd like to try to have, and that is so. Um, I, I'm a really, I, I like to ask questions in yeah. relationship. So, uh, but I was, I was at someone's house the other night, you know, from church and I just like rapid fire peppered them with questions <laughs> over the top. It felt like, and at the end of like three hours, you know, these were questions about the church and about, you know, them personally. And they were like, wow, well, I'll have to remember that you are like the professional question asker, Kevin. Uh. And 
I came away and I thought about it more and went back to that person and said, hey, listen, you know, I'm sorry that I kind of came way over the top and and because, well, what happened is I went home and my mom was asking me questions in a similar fashion. Uh, and I was yeah. like, oh, I don't, this isn't that, this is uncomfortable actually sometimes when someone's just like, what about this? Well, what happened then? Yeah. You sometimes know? you're like, I just kind of want to be at the party. <laughs> you know? yeah. We just chill. Right. Yeah. So... I went back to her and said, yeah, I'm sorry. And, and she said something that she had heard from Eric's mom, actually, Patty yeah. Seepin, and that is that we sin out of our strengths. Maybe you've heard mm. her say that. But I thought it was interesting because she's saying, well, no, that's a good thing about you. Like you're yeah. inquisitive and you're a people person and you are good at drawing things out of people. So so that's good. Right. You can also use that, though, yeah. to to create control and to, to, to not talk about yourself and all these yeah. things. Yeah, you can control the narrative. Right. I've observed that occur many times yeah not just you i'm just saying like where you go you're asking so many questions but you seem like whoever you know whoever i'm engaged with it's like this almost seems like like i need to check in with you because <laughs> like what's going on you know why right. are you so intent right. on eyes on anything me? but me right right so the sending out of our strengths thing is what i think is interesting and probably relates could relate to your dad here and that oh, is yeah, where sure. we go I look at the strengths that you just named, and that's humility, and that's meekness, and that's faithfulness. But then there's this there's this line of humility that goes into shame. Yep, absolutely. And so if his strength is humility, then he can also sin out of that strength by yeah. buying into shame and saying, ah, you know, I, I really am less than. Yep. And not just like in a servant way, but like I yep. am less than. Yep. And And he definitely did think that way. Um, and I, I tried at the beginning of the book to say, like, even his term for himself could be derogatory. Um, like, the little man wasn't always just like – he wasn't saying humble. Um, hmm. He was saying kind of disadvantaged. Um, I'm a victim. Like, yeah, yeah. No, he I think he in many ways saw himself as a victim. And, and he was one, but that identity um, took over sometimes. <coughs> and so I kind of wanted to take the term – and flip it a little and show that it was even it's like if I you know if I'd been this thoughtful throughout my life I would have loved to have had that conversation with him and say dad you know I love I love how gentle you are and kind and humble um but those aren't those aren't just things to kind of hide behind so mm-hmm. you don't have to deal with conflict or you don't have to like lead the family in a given moment um you can lead out of humility, but you don't have to be so humble you don't do anything. Right. Um, and so, the, you know, I frankly, I mean, part of why I was so surprised later in life at my admiration for him was because I also spent a lot of my life really annoyed with him. I mean, there were a lot of times where I just was like, where are you, man? Mm-hmm. Like, what aren't you going to say something? Aren't you going to do something? Like, would you please tell me what to do with my, you know, I'd go with him. What do you think I should do? And right. he'd go, Oh, I don't know. You know? And I'm like, dad, I need like, right. For gosh sake. But you know, this is such a yeah. tightrope that you're walking right. here. Like the, the one of between meekness, right. Meek shall inherit the earth. Yep. And then the passive shall yep. not like, so it's hard, hard to discern. Yeah. And cause like I would take your dad 10, 10 out of 10 over the guy who's, yeah. arrogant and confident and right. sends out of his confidence and is a jerk most of the time to, right. you know, he can kind of tend to have a low opinion of himself. And that's where maybe I think right. his sin comes in yep. 
is he doesn't believe that he is who God says he is. Right. No, yeah. That was that was the huge struggle for him. I mean, I think he believed in it every time he took a step forward. Every time he stayed married another day and mm. went to see his son another time and went back to work another day, he did in a way walk in faith in who God said he was a little bit, but that was yeah, but barely. Right. Like not not with the confidence that I think if he'd if he'd seen the dignity he had mm. um because of being an image bearer an image bearer of God on the same level as everybody else. Right. That he could have I, I think it could have been sweet. I think that would have been better. Um but I'm not but I've never met somebody who's maximized. <laughs> no, <all> that. <laughs> no, I, that's what I think is a really. As I consider for myself right now, I go, man, what a what a call to say. Okay, can I can I stay humble, but also ask God? Wait, who do you say that I am? Who right. do you say that I am? Let me keep going back yeah. to in Christ. Who am I? And who I am is actually, in a way, it's way better than I think I am, and and way worse. Like it's just right. a different type of def- definition for. Right what makes up my identity. And I would think that in your dad's life, he wouldn't have looked any less humble if he would have come the closer he came no. to that identity. And it's, and he did. Right. It, you know, like you right. said, every step was, okay, um, I'm going to take you at your word, God. You say this about me. Right. Because that's what I do is, is, is he says this and I said, no, no, no. Trust me, you're wrong. Yeah. Uh, the Proverbs say, uh, crucible is for gold, and the furnace tests silver. I think I got that reversed. Praise tests the heart of a man. Yeah, yeah. What when someone says something about you that's positive, right? What do you do? What I did do is I reject you first off and say, yeah. no, 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 wrong. Yeah, and that's sin at some point when God's saying, I'm pushing in and I'm speaking this over you, not because you so you can have your own party, but so that you can walk into that strength and then you can go use it in the kingdom. And when you say, ah, I. I it's a type of pride, actually. It's a type it of twi- twisted pride. Well, because if you take on that compliment, like now I got to live up to that again, or something like that, I and and it's kind of easier to just stay in this little woe is me place where it's safe and um, and where I'm good at it. Like I, I found it my in my life being in like B level positions, I feel really like confident. I can be good at that. right. Set the bar lower, right? And then and when you're killing it, it's like dang, like. Wow. <laughs> when you're mildly killing it, right? Right. And then, yeah, I, I mean, I had this is a little tangential, but I uh, there was a time at our church, and I don't know why this this just became a pivotal moment for me. So we had a early in planting our church, we had a big Sunday, a big for us. You know, it was it was like a bunch of people came. It just felt great. Is this and Midtown or Mission? This would now be Midtown before okay. we did the merger. And uh, Kira, a friend of ours. Uh, came up to me and was just so excited. I was like, that was awesome. Like, oh my gosh. (laughs) And I nearly completely rejected her and her celebration. I just, and I was so insecure that like, this will never happen. This was a one-time thing. It was just a fluke. fluke. Nobody, these people aren't going to come back. And everything in me wanted to celebrate, but I was scared to. I like, I was scared that if I start celebrating this kind of stuff, the letdown that's going to happen oh, later is just going to hurt everybody. And but I hurt Kira. Mm-hmm. Like I think. Right. I mean, I think she she just seemed deflated and kind of sad and um and and I don't know, it just 
it was just a really sad moment. And I, and I've thought about it so many times, like I do that a lot, I think. And, and it's not good and it's not loving and it's self-protective. And, um, anyway, recently I had a meeting that went really well with some, some folks, uh, some business owners in the area. And we went outside and I, it dawned on me, like, this is another one of those moments. Hmm. And one of them was just like, that was the best meeting I've ever been to. Oh my gosh, it went so well. And it was hard, but I chose not to reject it mm. and to like just celebrate with them for a little bit and just go, yeah, like, oh my gosh, can you believe it? That was amazing. Like, imagine what could happen. But that was me. Like, those people don't know how hard, how much walking in faith it was for me to celebrate. So you have some of your DNA of your dad in you. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Big um, time. T- another another topic in the book I wanted to get into and want to make sure we do talk about is is the place where, you know, it actually got me when I was reading it and I, you know, shed some tears. You, it, it's, it's the topic of your daughter, Abby. Yeah. And it sounds like she had a really special connection yeah. to your dad. Yeah. And you talk about it a little bit. The first place you talk about it is in the hospital room where yeah. he ended up passing away here in Tucson. Yeah. yeah. And it was the three things: what yeah. what to know about me. Yeah. And those were. Yeah, Bisbee, Oregon, and and my granddaughter Abby. Yeah. Yeah, you just get a picture. They had him and... had him up on the wall. This is when they moved him to hospice. They had they had this little whiteboard. Right. Yeah, and they had that written up on it. And. And so that's the that's earlier in the book, and so you get a picture and and knowing Abby and like yeah. knowing that she's like a fully formed adult in some ways, but still a, a yeah. amazing kid. Yeah, and being like, yeah, if I was her grandfather and she was my only grandkid, yeah, she would be my world. Mm-hmm. And and so you get that picture, and then later on you talk about the funeral, or yeah. was it a memorial service? Memorial, yeah. And a song called Granddad. Grandpa, yeah, the Judds, yeah, yeah. It's a sweet, sweet little song that I remember listening to on the radio with my dad. Um, and so, yeah, it it fit. You know, it was uh, yeah, Grandpa, tell me about the good old days is kind of a key line in it. But well, tell me about their relationship a little bit. Tell me why do you think it was so special? Yeah, I mean, I was going through when Abby was born. I was going through the one of the hardest times of my life. Um, so I, I had just gone through a, well, I was entering into a divorce. I mean, basically, which, um, yeah, which, uh, concluded when Abby was one. And so it was just a really, really hard, scary, confusing time for a while. I had Abby hundred percent of the time, um, new dad scared just by myself. You had her as a hundred, when she was like one or two years old, you'd have her. For a period of time, yeah, there was a protective order of custody. Um, wow. And uh, and so I, yeah, and I was just, I didn't see any of it coming. It was uh, it was scary. It was confusing. And my parents were just amazing. Um, I mean, I think they would have bonded with Abby anyway, but but they just took it. I mean, they just really engaged. They were there for us uh, a lot. And there's just so many pictures of like little baby Abby uh, with my dad. But then the interesting thing is mm-hmm. those same pictures exist of him and I, like mm-hmm. when I was little. Um, 
carrying me around. So he took that same joy in, in yeah. you. Yeah, which was really cool to to observe and think about. And I kind of knew it. Um, there were little you know stories my mom would tell of him carrying me around and uh, this milk jug I would hold. It was like a little ritual at night when I was tired. He'd give me the milk jug and he'd hold me up on his shoulder and then he couldn't see my face to see if I was asleep. So he'd just walk me around the house and then I'd eventually drop the milk jug. And that's when he knew I was out <laughs> and he would lay me down in bed. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it just, he just had, I mean, we have an old picture of him and his little brother, Jake, uh, with him just holding baby Jake, just looking down at him. So with so wow. much care, um, it seems just to be a part of who he was and the kind of stuff that his dad didn't affirm or notice Mm. as being manly at all. He, you know, he, these beautiful things about, I mean, he had this son, my dad was, he was artistic. He, he liked to make things. He liked to play guitar. He was kind to children, kind to animals. That's weakness. That, that people viewed it as weakness. And I mean, I think, I don't know. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions about like gender and all that stuff today. But I mean, I think some of it is we don't, I don't know, where do we even get our definitions of, of manliness, you know? I mean, back then, I mean, I think those were very manly traits to care for the young and to uh, make beautiful music. I mean, biblically, I mean, come on. Biblically and also from this evolutionary perspective, I was talking to a friend about right. how when, you know, Single women, when they see you with children and vice right. versa, oh yeah, and if a... you're good with them, they're like, oh, and because right. what's going on there is something like, I could, we could mate, and he would help with the kids, <laughs> right? And so your tenderness with right. a two year old is actually the thing that's going to get you the the biggest harem in mm. thousands of years ago. Mm. Wow, but... <laughs> interesting. Um, no, so I, that's not that just I, soiled the whole thing for me. My dad was just trying to get a harem. That's great. No, <laughs> well, you no, no I just, you no, describe him with such tenderness, yeah. and he, he did. Yeah, it was, and 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 I think like my bond with him from an early age had a lot to do with that. I just, yeah, I always wanted wanted to be around him. So he didn't exude like perfect confidence or anything, but I always knew. I always knew I was loved. That's, and I and I when I think about God, it's similar. Like I'll talk to people, they go, I just don't know if God loves me. And I think, hmm. I, I don't ever really worry about that. And I, uh, I wonder why. Well, it's because interesting. I always knew my dad loved me. Like wow. he showed me what that was like. Now I didn't always know that my dad would tell me what to do. Right. Maybe so he's I, absent and, but so he's when I struggle with God, it's that God would actually, you know, be involved in this given problem or something like that. I love that, you know, the process of redemption and sanctification generationally like your dad did not know he was loved by his dad and then right. the next generation the holy spirit enters in and now you know you're loved abby knows she's loved and and there's a shoot now right. an offshoot that is changed right it's a 180 from yeah. from that and that's really cool yeah and so when when i think about my dad's failures i also think man he turned the ship really far you know, and there's a lot of faith that go. Was he perfect? No, like not even close. But for goodness sakes, like he, I mean, he cranked the wheel on the ship and moved it from what, what he was offered and from what I assume his dad was offered. Hmm. You know, and his dad, I I do need to be careful because he comes across. I, I did actually even try to 
soften it, soften it a little because, I mean, his dad, he just didn't get my dad at all. Right. And, and I think he thought he would help by being a little hard on him. Um, and, uh, and there were eras of my grandpa's life where he, he had some drinking issues. I'm sure that factored in, but he actually, um, improved on some of that stuff. And, and I, my dad, he and my dad weren't close later in life. Um, <laughs> and therefore I wasn't ever very close to him. So I don't think we, we know mm. as well as maybe some of the sisters do w- the ways that he changed. But he, I mean, we do have some little anecdotal stuff. Like he took one of the the cousins, a, a lady who was drinking too much out in the garden and just gave her a talk about what this is going to do to you. And, you know, he, he had made mistakes, but he learned from some. So I, I don't want to say, I mean, my grandpa really damaged my dad, like profoundly damaged him. But, but I don't want to paint him as like pure evil. I mean, he was obviously uh, a broken, hurting man lost his parents when he was young something happened in world war ii changed his name mm. we don't know oh wow i mean he didn't talk about it he went through some probably some real trauma and so i, I don't want to well no i appreciate you much. saying that because there's a kind of a heroes and villain narrative we can see yeah. that is actually false like that yeah grandpa was bad dad was good and, and it's that simple and that's and no and it's not that simple not at all no and we're in the same way that maybe your dad turned the ship Maybe his dad, from what he had, like in, in ways Turned later in life, like offer, began to offer things, and um, right, it's very messy. Uh, on onto a lighter fare. Yeah. Speaking of fare, um, <laughs> food is this part in the book that's a it's a theme throughout, and um, you you must love food, but I loved the way because and I love food too. Everyone that's existent ever loves food. I know some people that. They say they only eat like just six things, or they they eat just to live or survive. Okay, I don't so understand those people, but but I believe that they're right. I believe it, they believe that. It's a way that obviously you find comfort, and sure. it almost is nostalgic for you yeah. in some ways. But like you talk about it like a lot, and going out, and should we go out? And shouldn't I was confused <laughs> because at first it was like all we do is go out. Because dad loved going out. But then dad's like, well, we can't go out because it costs too much money. Yeah. And then even your experience on the road trip, you're eating meals with Dwight and you're describing the meat, the, the slab of meat, and it's actually <laughs> good and there's a piece of white bread. And so like as the reader, I'm like, you get hungry, but you also see like huh. food. Like I think we think that food is like an accidental part of creation where God's right. like, ah, they got to eat. But like, no, there's some deep significance in yeah. in, in yeah, food. That- yeah, the meals on my trip were were a huge part of my memories, and uh, yeah, it was a big part of my life. Um, yeah, it's interesting because we were we definitely later in life the my parents were never wealthy, but they had a little more margin, and you could tell when that happened that my dad also loved to go out to eat, you know. Right. And so the the earlier years were, I think he wanted he liked it then too. But it was like a treat, and he just he was frustrated that my mom and I would go out when we had very little money in the bank, and um, so that was just a point of contention. And my mom was, you know, love my mom, but not she not a great cook, not man. a great cook. Yeah, that <laughs> just wasn't my mom. And uh, she had a couple standby recipes, one of which I remember liking, um, and. <laughs> 
otherwise we tended you know you came home a lot to my mom going like all right dinner's ready and it was like lunch meats and cheese and some carrots on a plate with oh, some wow. ranch yeah <laughs> so, so going out was also a way of survival <laughs> it was a survival method yeah so uh we i mean we all knew that going out was going to be a better experience um and my mom included you know she was she was right there with us but i just love that your dad loved it he did. And you, you yeah. do a good job of portraying that, and you love it too. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's a problem. I mean, I— Well, it kind of is because yeah. it's worse for you. It costs oh, money. Sheesh. It's all yeah. these things. I know. I know. Yeah, it's it's a thing, and it's in my story, which makes it harder, and it's so convenient, and it tastes delicious. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you know, juicing tastes delicious too, but I just— Right. Whatever. <laughs> I uh, No, it's, it's a— yeah, meals to me have always been a huge piece of any experience. I, I love, I love food, and I love to eat, and I love trying new things. And you know, every small town. There were there were things I didn't mention in the book, but like when I was driving to the beach, I was just scanning every small town for like a cool looking cafe, and I saw the Otis Cafe off the street, and it had this old flashing sign, and I I pulled in there and. I, I like to sit at the bar at little breakfast places like that and just kind of interact with the waitress. So I sat down. I just, you know, I said, "Hey, okay, like, I don't care what you recommend, but what's actually good here? Like, what do you take home? Right? You know, good and, it, and if it's on the menu, that's fine. If it's not, that's fine." And she brought me out this chicken fried steak, and I, oh. I do like chicken fried steak, but I have never had. A chicken fried steak like that one at Otis Cafe. Was this in Idaho? No, this is Oregon. Oregon. Um, this was just I was headed toward the beach. Otis as the town is what a very small town, and I mean I could not finish it. I was headed to the beach. I didn't have refrigeration. It was that all made me very sad. Oh man! But oh, it was amazing. It was so so good. And you know, and she came back around. Was like, now come on, I, I'm right, aren't I? I was like, <laughs> oh, you're right. And just the whole, I love it. Like it was that is. I remember a little bit about the road and the trees, and I remember arriving at the beach, but I remember that right. in detail. Well, you like, remember the taste. You can actually go back oh, to that chemical experience. I'm, I'm there. I remember the <laughs> environment. I remember, <laughs> I remember that that I, you know, people were waiting outside, but I was like, I'm not going to rush. I'm, I'm going to finish. Like, I'm going to eat as much of this as I want, and I'm going to drink my mm-hmm. coffee. And, uh, yeah, I remember a lot about that, and it has a lot to do with the food. So we've talked for a long time here. Um, one last question, okay. um, and it's but it's not going to be so simple. Talking to Rod again, I'm just going to out. Does he listen to this podcast? Sometimes? I don't know. Yeah, he. We were talking about the book, and he said, "Well, you know who that book's really about, right?" Yeah, he told me this. Yeah, yeah. It's about Andy. It's not, yeah. it's not about his dad. And I was like, <laughs> "There's your Rod impression." Well, I can do a better one. Yeah, I, I've been sick. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I said, oh, interesting, and I, I kind of see what he means. I don't know that I agree. Like, a lot of it, I guess there was a sense as you're reading, I was like, um, I don't know. What, how do you respond to that, someone saying, oh, this isn't about your dad. This is a, this is an autobiography. It's about your desires and, and who you are. And um, Yeah, they're hard to disconnect. I mean, you know, and, and I guess it's like if this were a – if this were a biography, it I sure would show up a lot more than you'd expect. But it's not. It's like it's really more like a travel memoir. 
Hmm. Um, I mean, that's when I've thought about the genres of book, this is what I came up with. Cause I, I went on, I went on trips. A lot of the trip itself shows up in the book. Um, right. and, and I was what I, I wasn't looking to get the exact story of my dad. I wanted to understand him through experiencing things he experienced myself and interacting with the kind of people that he liked to interact with um, or that he connected with. So by nature, if I'm the one interacting, I'm the one on the trip, I'm the one trying to have the experience, like, yeah, you're going to hear a lot from me. Right. Um, so I, I wasn't trying to tell my dad's perfect story. Um, that wasn't the goal. I didn't want to do a historical work. Um, I wanted to go on a quest to understand my father invite people along for whatever reason they might want to do something like that, which I assume would be because maybe they have thoughts about their dad and they kind of want to get into somebody else's head to learn how to explore that themselves. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so I guess I guess when he said it, I, I think he thought he was going to hurt my feelings. Yeah, that's um, my assumption. Yeah, but I actually kind of went, that's yeah, even, that's actually appropriate to the genre I chose. Mm. Um, it was. I went on a trip. Right. I was trying to experience my dad. Um, I wanted to. I wanted to go to the places he went, see the places he loved, kind of walk it, walk in those places, think about what I what I had learned from him. But it wasn't. But in all those things, I'm saying what I learned from him. Right. Um, well, it's all through your lens. Through my lens, yeah. One thing that was not of you that seems to that you have taken on is, and it's it's gold, and it's in the latter parts of the book. But you just you describe your dad's way of seeing the down and out and the yeah. the downtrodden and saying, "Hey, like, actually, maybe these are some people we should invest in and have relationship with." And and you just very simply say, "Actually, that's a really good idea." And hey, like, if that's one takeaway from the book for me, it was a it was a reminder to like. Oh, that's where the richness is, like yeah. way richer usually than relationship with the speaker who's talking about masculinity right. is the person who's what whatever. But there's no shortage of people who are broken. And so to move towards them sounds like something he did and that you have modeled after and that you're inviting other people into. And you're like, actually, guys, this is where the, the restful burden, the easy burden may may lie here a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what the key to it for my dad was, was that he didn't, he never called that class of people the needy or the downtrodden. Right. We're all, we're all needy. He didn't, he didn't, and he didn't just, it wasn't a linguistic choice. He, he just saw they had challenges in life. He had too. I mean, I think he looked at his own family and went, wow, you know, my, like, cause his little brother, Jake, he's, He's impoverished. I mean, really. Like, I mean, there's poverty level, and then there's poverty, and that's Jake. Uh, I mean, I went out to visit him, and and um, you know, he had he sells metal off the property to get food from time to time, and his sister checks on him and brings him something every once in a while. Um, and so, I think my dad realized, like, he kind of, you know, not to take got out of the equation, but he kind of just had a couple strokes of luck. You know, mm. he got, he got a job and found a wife who was devout and cared for him and stuck with him. And, um, he could have married somebody who just trashed his life and yeah. like, which happens. And he, uh, 
and he got happened to get into an industry that in Oregon was booming and lost that job, but mm. like was able to, you know, get by for whatever reason. And, you know, there were a couple, when my, when we got, we, we moved to Arizona on accident essentially because my mom got sick here, but somebody from church paid or no, from her work, sorry, um, paid off her hospital bill. And I mean, we would have fought with that hospital bill for a long time. She had a surgery and the way that that changed things, you know, so I think when he looked at, at people who were struggling, he went, uh, yeah, I've been there or, or I was real close to that. Um, or like Spike who shows up in the book. I mean, he definitely has, um, like, I mean, there, I don't think it's anything's diagnosed, but I've went and visited him the other day and. And he told me, he said, I can't read, like I, I can't, or I can't retain, I can't, and he didn't say it this way, but he just says, I, I asked him if he was working and he said, no, I lost my job. And he goes, it's hard because you have to show me how to do something a bunch of times before I can do it. I can't, I can't read a book on how to do it. Wow. And uh, so he's like, it's hard to get a job. And my dad always loved Spike and cared about him. And I don't think he looks at him and goes, Oh, you're the least of these. Right. He goes, "You're me." Like, Interesting. I, what would I do if I couldn't read? And so he just wanted to. He just cared. Just wanted. I mean, and he didn't always have a lot to offer, but like when he went to that one dude's trailer and the toilet was dirty, he knew how to do it. So he got in there and cleaned that toilet. And um, but it wasn't for the the least of or the down. It was just for mm. people like him. And I think that's the big that's the big difference is when you're you're serving the downtrodden. Like it's kinda right. Yeah. It, now you're not you're not the same. Wow. Right, it's an us and them. Right. And and that's what my dad by that was the gift that he had was he didn't have to think that through. <laughs> he just it just wasn't us and them. That's a radical admonishment from a pastor. Right. Seriously. I mean, because it's taking on the mind of Christ, right. who being in the very likeness of mm-hmm. God. So he he laid down his divinity. Right? Can we lay down our intelligence and our wealth to say, uh, actually, we are all the same, and I'm not I'm not condescending to you. I am already down with you. Yeah. I just got back from San Francisco, and um, the we were, I was talking to the Lyft driver about the homeless population, and he. He said, you know, a lot of these guys were the big tech, when the first big tech boom, they came here, they, they got on crystal meth, and then tech changed, and they couldn't, because of their drug addiction, they couldn't buckle down and learn a new skill, and now they're on the street. Wow. And I mean, that that was, I don't he just said it, right? I don't have data. But even when you go, oh, wow, I mean, you could have education and a high-paying job, and something just changes. Right. And now you're on the street. Mm. Like, so it's not even like you may not, it may not even be a choice of laying down your stuff. Like, that's just you. Like, you with a couple mistakes, there, that's you. Or you with a traumatic brain injury, right. that's you. Or the, I mean, I knew a homeless guy in Chicago who his addiction happened because he, he and his wife were walking across the street. He turned around, the city bus flew by and hit her, killed her on impact two feet in front of him. Wow. And he tried crack after that. And then he was, and then it just was a spiral down. Like, 
what would I do if I, I mean, I, I hope I wouldn't, I hope I'd have this supportive community, but for goodness sakes. So I don't know. That's, that's the thing is, I mean, even knowing like I, I could be there later. I don't know. I don't know my future. The little man, go read it. I strongly yeah. and genuinely encourage anyone out there to to seriously get a hold of this book. How can they? When is it available? Yeah, it'll. Uh, I mean, I'll I'll share it. Uh, I could probably put it out on the Faith Over Breakfast uh, links uh, page, Instagram, whatever. Uh, it'll be out by the end of the month on Amazon. June thirty first at by, the latest. Yep, at the latest. <laughs> it's it's close. So yeah, I would. Uh, I would mean a lot to me, and yeah. I think. I think my dad has a lot to teach us. I agree.